Friends, open up to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Uh, we're going to uh, be looking at verses 25 to 27. So it, the Pew Bibles, Pew Bibles, uh, the Bibles in the racks are about page 905. So there's times in my life where I really wonder, do the little things in this world, doing the little things, does it matter? And wives are going, absolutely, the little things matter. Would you make your bed? Would you put your shoes away? Would you clean up the counter? Why is this still out here? Can't you put this away? And so you're all going, absolutely, the little things matter. Sometimes, though, I, I wonder, if you just add up all these little things, does it really matter in the grand scheme of things. Look at your resume. Those of you who have created a resume, those of you who look back, you look at these kind of landmark kind of things. And if an employer is saying, well, show me your resume, you don't go, well, this morning I made my bed. I did the dishes. I put my shoes away. I did, in fact, I folded the laundry uh, without my wife asking. I've done all these things. No, the thing that you put down are the big things that you have accomplished. These monumental kind of tasks to wow people and just say, look at this. But way down deep, if we're really honest, it's often the little things that say a lot about our character, our person, who we are. So, Jesus, in this series, the, the, the seven sayings of Jesus, Jesus has been making, so far, we're, we're at week three, he, so far he's made two statements while he has been hanging on the cross. And these are the dying words of Jesus. And each one has significance, each one has, has meaning, and they teach us something about the very heart of God, about who he is. First, you get, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. So in the midst of being unjustly uh, wrong, Jesus was able to pour out forgiveness to those who are, are, are killing him. He's saying, forgive them. And therefore, because of our union with Christ, who we are with Jesus, what he has done for us, we, as children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ and of Christ, we should be able to forgive as we have been forgiven. That's a, that's a huge statement. Secondly, last week, we have Jesus interacting with two criminals on the cross. One who is just railing insult upon insult, hurling abuse, and ultimately he rejected Jesus while the other confessed, you this man has done no wrong. We are justly here. Would you remember me? When you entered heaven, would you remember me? And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. So today we come, if, if you look at this, what we're going to be reading as, a, as kind of a casual observer, it's going to seem somewhat insignificant considering the magnitude of the moment but looking closely it is a it was significant monumental and it is significant for us as well 
So my friends, would you stand as we read John chapter 19, starting at verse 25. And I'm going to just jump up just a little bit so that we get a little bit of the context. I'm going to start with verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it. But cast lots to see whose it shall be. This was to be fulfilled, uh, was to fulfill the scriptures which say, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sisters, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the son took her to his own home. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So while being crucified, Jesus looked down from this cross and he saw his mother and the beloved disciple. Who is the beloved disciple? Anybody? John. John is the beloved disciple. If you look in at the Lord's Supper, the story there, Jesus reclined on, on John. And th- so they, there was a very intimate moment that Jesus had an intimate relationship between Jesus and John. And he looked at his mother and he said, Woman, behold your son. And John, John is now going to be your son. And John, Mary is going to be your mother. And Mary just went home with with John. And the relationship had forever been changed. And at first glance, this statement... Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your your mother. This statement doesn't seem to compare with some of the weightier statements that Jesus has made or is going to make. It just doesn't seem to fit within the whole group very well. It seems kind of like sometimes it feels like a side note. That Jesus was just, oh shoot, I've got to take care of some family business before I die. I've got to take care of some stuff. Yet the more I looked at it over this past week, I realized that this moment has some real theological and some real practical significance for you, for me. Jesus was being incredibly intentional with his words. He is being incredibly intentional with his actions to give us a beautiful, clear glimpse of the heart of God. So in in order to understand the significance of this moment and these words, we must consider the situation where this saying is found. What is going on here? 
What was happening when Jesus stopped in this moment and took care of the needs of his mother? He was paying for the sins of the world. He was suffering one of the most painful experiences of physical torture that a person could ever experience. He had been whipped. His back was more than likely torn to shreds. He had been punched repeatedly in the face. The Romans took a crown of thorns and didn't just sit it nicely atop of his head. They took that crown of thorns and pushed it way down deep into his head. And he suffered an incredible loss of blood. He was desperately weak. He was desperately thirsty. They took spikes, driving them into his wrists and his feet, fastening him to a cross, dropping that cross into a hole. And the physical cost that he was paying for your sins was enormous. But Jesus was also paying a mental cost. Historically, when men were crucified, and that's why I backed up all the way to verse 23, what, what the scriptures don't tell you here is that Jesus was completely naked on that cross. We get all kinds of pictures in, in our, our storybook Bibles. You get pictures, uh, even stained glass windows, of Jesus with a, a little bit of a loincloth. But historically, what would they do? Their job, Roman soldiers' job, was to totally humiliate, emasculate the man who is on that cross. And Jesus was completely, in that moment, exposed to the whole world. He was also suffering insults and verbal abuses that were being hurled at him, not just from the, uh, the one criminal on the cross, but also from the teachers and the, uh, the religious order of the day, the people who were watching from afar were hurling insult after insult. But the physical and the mental cost were nothing compared to the spiritual cost that he was paying. In that moment, when Jesus spoke these words to his mother, and to John, the beloved disciple, Jesus was enduring the wrath of a holy God. As he hung on the, that cross, God was pouring out his wrath onto him so that we would not have to receive God's wrath. Jesus was, had existed eternally with the Father in a holy, loving, and sinless relationship. Everything had been absolutely perfect and amazing and beautiful between them until this moment. For the first time in eternity, sin entered into that relationship that had never been there before. The relationship that Jesus had enjoyed with the Father forever had been ripped from him. This was a massive cost that Jesus was paying for us. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5? For our sake, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Do you feel the weight of this moment and the peculiarness of this statement? In the midst of this moment, Jesus seems to be hitting a pause button. Mom, John is going to take care of you from now on. John, I want you to take care of Mary as your own mother. In that moment, Jesus hit pause. He was performing the most significant act in all of human history. Yet, he suddenly stopped to make sure that a desperate widow had somebody to care for her. Jesus was always doing this kind of stuff. He, he was feeding the poor. He was caring for the hungry. He was healing the sick. He was loving and caring for the, the, the unlikely people that would, who needed love, and he always gave it. So what he, he wasn't doing something necessarily insignificant or unique to his character, but it was when he chose to do it that is significant. Jesus could have done this. He could have taken care of business while in the upper room. He could have leaned over to John in that moment and just said, hey, John, hey, I got one last request. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to the cross. It's going to get messy. I've got a lot of work to do tomorrow. I've got one last request. Would you take care of my mother? He could have done it after he had died and risen from the grave. He could have spent time with Mary and the disciples after, afterwards. Right before he ascended into heaven, he gave, you know, along with that, the great commission, go therefore and make disciples. He could have said, oh, John, before I go, take care of my mom. But he didn't do it in those times. He chose the moment when he was hanging on the cross, paying for the sins of the world, to stop and to care for Mary's future, her well-being. So why did he choose to do it while he was on the cross? Jesus was revealing something about his Father's heart, his heart. He was letting us see this view of God's heart most of us would have missed otherwise. And honestly, this is a beautiful picture of how God actually loves us. Friends, hear this. God doesn't just care for and love you by offering salvation. Let me say that one more time. God doesn't just care for you and love you by offering you salvation. He wants to love you and care for you, even in the smallest details of your life. And a lot of us need to see this and understand the depth of God's love for us. As, as Jesus is shedding His blood for the sins of the world, showing us, showing us that he, he has met the most significant need in all of our lives, taking care of our sin, 
he is also showing us that he is not too busy, not too tired, not too distracted to care for us, to care for one desperate widow who needs a place to sleep. Jesus intentionally chose this moment to demonstrate the span of care for our lives. He, he loves us and He cares for us in the big things, the, the, the redemptive things. He cares for the condition of your heart, your soul, and where you will spend eternity. He cares about those things. But he also, friends, he also cares about those small, minute, mundane details of your life. I I have, honestly, as a pastor, and I think the more I have been in the pastorate, I have grown a very short-sighted view of the depths of which God has cared for me. I find myself studying Scripture, and I find myself reading through commentaries, theological work, systematic theology, trying to figure out all these things. So when thinking about how God loves me, I have a tendency to think that God only really deeply cares about my salvation. Isn't that pathetic? I I think He loves and cares me enough to die on the cross for my sin. And He cares about whether or not I'm sinning. But that's about it. A lot of times, I think He just doesn't care about the stupid stuff that I struggle with on a daily basis. Think about how that affects your prayer life. The point of Jesus saying this on the cross was to tell us that, Paul, this is a terrible misunderstanding of God's love for you. God doesn't just love you as a Savior who wants to take away your sins. God loves you as a father. God loves you as a father who wants to care for you the way a good, loving, caring father would care for his daughter or son. He loves you the way a good husband would care, pursue, cherish, and love his wife. He wants, you, he wants to love you as a friend who will walk with you during those terrible, dark times of life and will walk with you closer than a brother. You see, while, even while Jesus was performing the great, this great act of redemption, Jesus was faithful to his responsibilities as a son. In fact, he was even fulfilling scripture. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. He was doing that to the end. This story shows us that God wants to love and care for you the way a dying son would care for his widowed mother. That's how God wants to care for you. The way a dying son cares for 
his widowed mother. So how do you view God? Is God too busy or preoccupied with the redemption of the world to care about the stuff that you are bringing to him, maybe the pain that you are experiencing in your life, the confusion that you have in your life? Do you have minor details in your life that you would never bring to him because he just doesn't care or he just doesn't have time for me? Jesus didn't have to say this on the cross at this moment while paying for the sins of the world. He took the time for the ordinary, the mundane, the everyday needs of a person, a particular person that he loved. This glimpse into to the heart of God is probably what Peter was saying in 1 Peter 5. He, Peter said this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you. And if you stop right there, you're going, yeah, that sounds like a salvation motif going on. That at the right time, He is going to save you and exalt you. But if you stop there, you're missing something. Listen to verses 6 through 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your cares upon Him, because He cares for you. Yes, salvation. But there's also this command of, cast all your cares, Paul. Cast all your cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Some of you may be dealing with sickness. This past week, I, it started on Tuesday, and I just I felt like this bug, this flu thing. My head was kind of full and aching, and I'm going, oh, dear God, please, not the flu bug. Rumor has it that this thing is a long-lasting thing, and it's a miserable thing. I didn't get the flu shot. I should have got the flu shot. And in that moment, I, I found myself saying, okay, God, listen, I have got a lot of work to do. Would, would you just please prevent me from getting sick? Or if I do get sick, would you just make it a blip on the screen? And I found myself praying that as I'm laying in bed, going, God, I, I, would you heal me? Would you make me whole again? Please don't let me be sick. I, I, I want to serve you. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great dad. There's so much to be going on. But then later on, the next day, I read this from this website called The Joshua Project. If you've ever heard of the Joshua Project, the Joshua Project is this website that lets you know how many unreached people there are in the world. Do you know how many unreached people there are? 3.14 billion people who, if God would come back today, they would spend eternity apart from him. And here I'm asking God, would you heal me from the flu? Man, this is a temporary illness. It's, it's an inconvenient thing. It felt ridiculous to come to God who deals with the salvation, who is dealing with the salvation of unreached people groups and ask him to heal me of this silly sickness. 
Maybe some of you are lonely. It feels vain to to go to God and ask Him and talk to Him about that. You know, the Bible says you're supposed to be completely satisfied and content in Him. So it feels ridiculous to cast your loneliness on Him. Or some of, there, there are some things that seem, for me, just goofy to talk to God about. My weight, my body image. I know, men. Yeah, we've got weight issues. We've got body image issues. A lot of us wrestle with this. So it feels so vain to go to God and to talk to Him about what I eat, my my self-control, and the way that I feel in my own skin. It feels weird. It feels ridiculous to ask Him, God, would you give me strength to control what I eat and to be content with the way that I look? It feels ridiculous. 3.14 billion people perishing apart from Christ. But if there's anything that the scripture teaches us, it's that God cares about this kind of stuff. It's that God cares about you. God cares about the flu. God cares about our loneliness. He cares about your body image. He cares about where you are mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. We're supposed to take those things to Him and cast them upon Him. Maybe you're anxious about a test or money or job, and you haven't cast those cares upon Jesus because you're not so sure that He cares. There was, there was somebody else who probably felt guilty about burdening Jesus with, with some really simple kind of stuff. And that person was probably Mary. A mother. Listen, Mary knew Jesus was going to die. Not just from the, the, that week and all the events that were taking on. She knew when she had this child. From the moment she held him in her womb, she knew that one day he was going to die for the sins of this world. Don't you think that at some point in the story, she was probably wondering, So who's going to take care of me? She probably felt even guilty thinking about those things. Her son was being tortured for the sin of the world. She she didn't want to go to him and just say, Hey, Jesus, before you go, I'm a widow. Who's Who's picking up the baton and running with that? Who's caring for me? Yet what did Jesus do? He put all that stuff to rest. It's one of the seven sayings on the cross. He stopped in the the middle of paying for our sins and said, Mary, hear this. I love you. I care about your future. And I am going to make sure that after I am gone, that you are taken care of. What kind of God does that? 
Who is this God who doesn't just concern himself with the salvation of souls, who would move heaven and earth just to take a moment to minister in some really small way to a mother that was heartbroken about losing her son? Who does that? The answer is, our God does. Although Jesus was dying the most excruciating kind of anguish, Jesus, the king of love, selfishly turned aside to care for the earthly, temporal, real felt needs of those who stood by his side. Although he was occupied with the most important event in the history of redemption, he remembered care for, and make provision for the needs of one woman, his mother. He's the kind of God that stops in the middle of paying the highest cost a person could pay to take care of his mother. Listen, if Jesus could care for the needs of his own in a moment of his deepest weakness and his greatest humiliation, how much more can he provide for you in his present power and exaltation? If he is able to care for his mother in his greatest moment of vulnerability, of pain, nakedness and shame, his separation from God. How much more will he care for you? Friends, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Clothed in glory. Power and dominion is his. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So the satisfaction made for our sin at Calvary was so complete so perfect, so awesome that God honored this sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead and gave him incomparable glory and power and wealth of all things. All things are at his hands, at his disposal. So when the apostle contemplates whether we can bank on Jesus for the provision of our need. Can we bank on Him? It is this wealth of glory that assures the Apostle Paul and says, yes, you can. He says, and my God will supply every need. (laughs) Every need of yours according to His riches in glory. In Christ Jesus. The 
the risen Christ is so full of glorious riches that he need not turn anyone away. Therefore, my friends, the word of Jesus to his mother from the cross is a word to us, to you. It's meant to be a great encouragement for our faith. If he could provide for his own in his moment of weakness and humiliation, how much more can he meet your everyday needs, your trials, your pain, your suffering, your anxiety? How much more will our God give to you now that He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, full of power, full of wealth, full of glory? So my application for you this morning is simple. In light of woman, behold your son, In light of that, the application is two parts. Cast your cares upon him. Why? Here's the second part. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Our God cares for Friends, this is the word of the Lord.